I'm Ellen Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Today, I am excited to introduce Ellen Sentier. And she's joining us all the way from England today. Ellen Sentier is a heartful, badass life coach, soulpreneur, and businesswoman who's helped people put the soul back in their lives and businesses for over 30 years. She was born into a family that had practiced the old witch ways of Britain for millennia. Ellen has been a psychotherapist and life coach since 1990. She's also an ex-software ex boffin, wild woman, best-selling author, cat lover, friend, and partner, witch, shaman, and friend to many. She's seen a lot, and she loves to offer her experiences, skills, and insights to help others re-find their soul fire. The soul is the spark of passion that brought your business to life, and it's what brings you to life and drives you. But the humdrum everydayness of living can make us comfortably numb and our passionate soul fire gets lost. So we stop being excited and exciting. And then we get gray and dull hair too. <laughs> That's just wonderful. So welcome, Ellen. It's such an honor to have you as a guest today. Thank you, Dr. Lottie. It's absolutely gorgeous to be here. And it's lovely to connect across the world. It's perfect. I know. Isn't it amazing? I, I love that part of the pandemic and how we now connect so easily using online platforms. I, too. Yeah. I, I think it's been such, that's one of the really good things that's happened from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So you have such an interesting background and childhood. Now, growing up in a witch and shaman family uh, that carry on traditions for many, many, many years, what was it like? What was your childhood like? Well, at the time, um, I thought it was absolutely marvelous, and I still do. Um, but it's very different to how some of the other children um, in the village were and later when I got into um, secondary school is that what you I don't know what you call that but it's it's when you're over 11 kind of thing and when I got in there it was very different from many people because in the village there were probably a third to a half of the village people 
were old ones, as we call them, i.e. they practiced the old ways that have been going on for centuries. And the rest of them didn't. And there were a few incomers then, a few new people who hadn't been born in the village. But in general, it was so normal. But thinking about it, <laughs> I mean, for instance, how many of you have actually gone out with your Uncle Jack? Assuming you have an Uncle Jack, your uncle anyway. And um, he goes out into, you go out walking in the fields with him. And he just puts his fist up really high like this. And within a minute or two, there's a wild falcon on his fist. It, we just think that doesn't happen. It's the sort of thing you think of as Harry Potter, but it isn't. It is real and it does still happen, certainly in Britain. And I would imagine in some of the old people in all countries of the world. So I was used to that. But most of the children in school were not used to that. And so I had to learn, you know, five, which is not the easiest time to learn it. I had to learn a zip. And um, otherwise you just, everybody stares at you and go, woo, you know, who's she? <laughs> and um, so you have to learn to take that on board as well, that you're going to be a bit different in the way you think. Well, that was just one of the sort of spectacular things and uncle jack and um auntie mary and dad and all the people they all taught me about connecting with nature because that's what it's about if the hawk trusts you and can hear you across the i don't know airwaves what do you want to call it um intuitively can hear you that you're saying love to speak to you come on and comes down that is such a connection. I mean, um, that's just amazing. You know, he would just, and did he whistle or anything or just put his Nothing. fist up? Nothing. Just like this. And, of course, inside, in his, in his head, in his heart, really, he was there going, I'm here. I'd love to talk to you. I'm here. I'd love to talk to you. And. I don't think he did shut his eyes. I shut my eyes then. But I don't think he did. But the hawk could hear him. Those of you who've got um, animals that you live with, you know, a cat or a dog or something like that, or a horse, then you may well know this, that your horse hears you. Your horse knows what's going on. Your dog knows when you're feeling a bit in trouble or your cat does and you sort of climbs in your lap and says, it's all right, it's going to be all right, love. And you can feel that coming off them. So that's the sort of thing. And then did you learn to call any animals to your hand? Yeah, I did. Uncle Jack sort of said, would you, you know, well, I was saying, oh, how did you do that? Oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful, Uncle Jack. You know, and he said, well, it's easy. And... Uh, he taught me to call owls in the same sort of way, but that would be, of course, at night. So you're going out in the woods um, in the dusk when the owls are out or in the early dawn. And again, you don't say anything. You just call. You just call with your mind speak or whatever you want to call it. And the owls, if they feel that you're okay and you're not going to do anything horrid to them, then an owl will come down and sit near you. And once or twice, he's actually sat on my arm. But usually it's just near you and you, you know they're there. I still do it here. 
we've got some lovely oak trees at the front of the house here and a couple, couple of them are particularly used by tawny owls and I go out there um I might even go out tonight except that it's sleeting here <laughs> it's cold here in Britain um because the moon's out and I might go and sit under the oak tree and just see if one will come to me and they quite often do so it's real connecting real connecting with nature and you feel the same thing with plants any gardeners out there <laughs> you probably know <laughs> you and your plant I'm not happy here <laughs> yeah so uh, people who are listening to this thinking wow that sounds just amazing how do I learn how do I learn to do that find somebody who does it um I do teach it uh and I even teach it online and I've had students in I haven't got any Australian students at the moment but I have in New Zealand and uh, several American students and I can teach you online I can say go and do this but there are lots of exercises you learn to do beforehand and that's part of my childhood and yeah you know as a kid I ran around and was a you know complete pest as all children are but I also learned that if I wanted to actually speak to animals wild animals um if i wanted a dragonfly to come and sit on my finger not to go and screaming around the place but actually just sit still and i think that would be a really good thing for kids nowadays to learn because it's, there's nothing wrong with running around screaming but there's also there's so much that you miss that you would get if you just sat still but how to encourage them to do that? Well, you've got to know it yourself. So that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. No, that is just wonderful advice. And I think that's something that we have lost in today's culture because we're just so busy. We run from one activity to the next. And, you know, the kids are in school and they have after school activities and they have homework. And it's it's almost like they don't have time to take that time to just go sit in nature because they're so busy trying to keep up. I quite agree. I wonder sometimes if that isn't, you know, one of the bad things in our culture that keep busy, keep active, keep having fun. Mm -hmm. well, you're actually allowed to be still. You're actually allowed to be sad sometimes. You know, there's a whole gamut of emotions and you can actually just be quiet and thinking and remembering. And if kids get the opportunity to learn that, I think it would be so good. They might actually take better care of themselves when they grow up and, you know, maybe they've got to have three jobs in order to keep the money going and the roof over their heads. But to try and fit in, you know, lunchtime, I don't sit in the office with my sandwich. I go for a walk and I actually go and look at something. I go and just lean against a tree and shut my eyes. And all those little things like that, which I grew up with, and so they're part of me. I still forget to do them, of course, because I'm yep. certainly not perfect. But at least I know that it's a good idea to do it. And if any people would do that, just take time out. You're allowed to love you. And that's a lot of the part of, of the old ways, the old pagan ways. It is about you're allowed to love you as well as everybody else. Yeah, that is good. That's very good advice, because I think that's also something that's lost in our culture today. 
um, again, we're just too busy and uh, keeping up with keeping up with everything in the world. Um, I know that your father was a storyteller and he told you a lot of stories that were passed down from generation to generation about the ways and the witch ways and the shaman ways. Yeah. Um, is there any particular story that you would like to share? Well, there's one that's been pinging since um, you first mentioned it before we started. And all, Dad could tell, he could make up stories. He could make up stories on the on the hoof, which is really lovely. And he could also tell old stories. And he could also read very well. So, you know, he, he like read the Narnia books to me and that kind of thing. But the story that I'm thinking of it's called Taliesin, and that means in Welsh, shining brow. And it's how Taliesin got his name. And he's one of our famous wizards, poets, um, sort of on a line with Merlin in the old stories. And he's an amazing person, had amazing adventures. But Long ago and far away, he lived in the Welsh mountains. It's very beautiful there, but not many people around. And up on Snowdon is the place where one of our ancient ladies, our ancient goddesses, if you want to call it, had one of her homes. And her name is Coridwyn. And she had two children. She had a very beautiful daughter, and there's lots of lovely stories about her. And she had a dark, dark son who was not beautiful. Um, inside was a different story, but outside was not. And he was very much shunned. And she was sort of like, hmm, what can I do about this? Is my boy there? Um, I wonder if I should do something about it. And so various of her god and goddess friends sort of said, well, yeah, why don't you give him a bit of everything? Okay. So she went all around the world and she was collecting particular plants like sage for wisdom and rosemary for remembrance and lots of other beautiful things like pieces of fur, pieces of wool, pieces of bone, pieces of tree. And she brought them all home in her bag and her back in her backpack and she thought I must make make a potion of them all so she put them all in her cauldron and she stirred them up with the spring water where she lived which was right from the ground where she lived so it was very special and she stirred that and she said nah ah I've got to stir this for a year and a day because that's how magic works but I've got a lot of other things to do. How am I going to do this? So she went down to the village and there was this boy playing around down there. And she said, hey, boy, would you like to help me? And he said, well, yeah, I suppose so. All right. Forgot to do. And she says, I want you to stir my cauldron for a year and a day. And do you know someone who's really good at tending the fire? Because I'm not going to have time to do that. She, oh, yeah, yeah, this old man down here, he's very good at that. He'll, he'll tend the fire for you. So she took the young boy and the old man back home. 
and they set up the fire and they hung the cauldron over it. And the old man kept pushing the logs in and keeping it going and blowing up the flame. And the boy was stirring and stirring and then stirring and stirring. And everything was going fine. And then on the very last day, when it was the 366th day, a year and a day, Karin had to go out. So the boy was stirring there and stirring and stirring and stirring. And all of a sudden, the cauldron started to bubble. And it bubbled and it bubbled and it bubbled and it bubbled and it spat three big drops out. And they landed on his thumb. It hurt. He stuck his thumb in his mouth, wouldn't you? Ah. But the potion was ready. And this was the potion that had been for Caridwin's son. And he had the first three magical drops. Our little lad, Gwion Bach, our little boy, she was doing the stirring. He got the first potion. So there he was. Because he suddenly started to get all the wisdom, all the things, all the pieces of earth that were in the cauldron. He started to get them coming into him. And with that, he sort of realized that Caridon was going to be just a teensy bit cross because he'd got them instead of her son. So he thought, oh, help. <laughs> and he started to run down the hill. Run, 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 run. And behind him, he could hear, ho, 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 as Caridwin, as a hound, came galloping after him. And he started to run faster and leap. And he suddenly realised that his back legs were much longer and that he was running on all fours and that he'd, he'd turned into a hare. Still going to have a bit of a problem out distancing Caridwin as a greyhound, but he was ahead still. So he was there going, help, 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 inside. And then all of a sudden, he was at the river and he couldn't stop. So he just fell straight in, splash. And he went down, 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 down in the water. And then his little legs were going like mad. And he was paddling like mad. And he came up and he went, oh, and he got some air. But behind him, he heard a splash and big paddling noise going on behind him and he knew it was Caridwin and she turned into an otter and she was hunting him and so he was trying to paddle and swim and then he realized that he flicked his feet and his feet went like that sideways and his front arms were doing beautifully and he turned into a salmon so he was he was ahead but she was still right on his tail and he was swimming up the river and then he came to, bad news, he came to a weir, a tall weir with all the water pouring over it, pouring over it. And he had to climb that. Huh? Huh? So he waggled his tail madly and whoosh, up, splash. He fell down again. And the otter was even closer now. So Paddled his tail madly, whoosh, up, and he fell down, splash. 
And she was practically on him now. And he just paddled like mad and he shut his eyes and he was flapping his front fins as well. And he leapt and he leapt and he went on and on and on and on, up, up. And he was flying. And he was a pigeon. Pigeons are very fast and they're very, very skillful flyers. Very clever indeed. So, <sighs> Paul Grimm's panting. And then behind him, Whee! the sound of a falcon and a peregrine falcon. And they're the fastest birds. And you could feel it above him getting ready to stoop. And he flew like mad and he was hoping for some trees and seeing if he could duck and dive, but there was nothing. And he could feel that the peregrine was going to get him any minute. I can't do anymore. And he just shut his wings and he plummeted down to the earth. And he landed quite softly in something. And he felt himself going down into it and getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until he realised that he was a seed and he'd fallen into a pile of grain. <sighs> Maybe I'm safe. There was this big black hen and she was scraping at the seeds, scraping at the seeds and clucking away. And he found, she found him. She ate him. Well, he went down, down, down into her belly. But soon afterwards, her belly started to swell. And she realized that she was actually pregnant. And in her belly grew this baby. And she was. Okay, quite pleased. It's okay. So her time came and she gave birth to this beautiful, beautiful baby boy. And he looked up at her and most babies can't really see you when they're first born, but he could. And he looked at her. His eyes were bright and shining. And he put up a hand and just touched her. And she went, oh, you are Taliesin. You are shining brow. You have the light of wisdom in your brow. But you can't stay with me. It's not possible. Things won't happen if you do. And bad things might happen. You've got to go. And so she carefully sewed him up into a leather bag. And she put him in the river. And he floated. Now, the king's son of that land, he was a bit of a wastrel and a bit of a rubbishy bloke, and he gambled a lot. And <clears throat> Dad wasn't terribly keen on him, not very fond at all. But, you know, every now and again, he'd do something useful. And tonight, 
all his gambling friends had gone off and and he needed a bit of something to make some money because he owed the guy next door for his gambling debts from last night. So he went down to the river and I'll catch some salmon and I can sell those and maybe that'll get me past. So he went down to the river and flicking with his rod, nothing. Then I, no problem, nothing, no fishes. Nothing. But what was that? There's something out there. Bob, bob, bob on the river. What is it? It's big. Maybe it's something, maybe it's treasure. So gets in there, plows in there, got up to his waist, sopping wet, but and he grabs this bag and the bag wriggles. <gasps> and he nearly drops it. But he managed to hang on to it. And he takes it back to the bank and it's there going, riddle, riddle. What on earth? So he takes his knife out and he carefully slips the lacing. And inside is this beautiful baby boy. And he looks at him. And the king's son goes, oh, oh, I didn't realise life could be like that. I didn't know anything about this. So he takes him home. And they bring him up and Taliesin goes on to have lots more adventures. And he helps the king's son and he helps the king. But that's all another story. This was just Taliesin's beginning. So there you are. I love it. Uh, and you grew up with hearing all these stories from your dad. What a great childhood. Well, I think so, because I still love stories. But I think you probably love stories too, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so wonderful because the old traditions and um, these kinds of stories, they're a little bit, I think, lost in today's world as well. Um, I know you wrote a lot of books, I think 12. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm on my 13th at the moment, which I intend to finish by 12th night. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So Most these 12 books that you've written, is there, a, is there any of those books that have stories like this in it? Or just, just tell me about the different books. They all have some stories in them. And um, Ellen of the Ways has stories about uh, my, a little bit about my childhood, but also about adventures that I've had um, with, with a girlfriend when we've traveled around in Britain. And amazing things have happened to us. And so I talk about those. But I've written, I'm writing my third novel at the moment. So both novels one and two, they come out of the old stories um the first novel oh, pardon. i'm thinking of book number four the first novel owl woman <laughs> um is actually based in the legend of the well in our village which my aunt owned and it was a sacred well and um about three four hundred years ago it made the village very rich because pilgrims came to it to get the water and imagine three or four hundred years ago, I think you used to get 60 or 70 pounds a year for the well. And that would be like hundreds of thousands nowadays. So, we, you know, it was quite a different thing. But that book is based in that story, which is a wicked stepmother story. But that's wicked stepmother stories are all part of the old ways in many cultures in Russia, in 
the United States, in Australia, Africa. This idea of the wicked stepmother is always there. So it's a very old theme. So that's one's, that one's about that. And the second one, um, Moonsong, is based in the Tristan and Isolde legend. Do you, do you know about that one? The, um, Tristan, who is um, a musician and a, a knight at court, and uh, he fell in love with Isolde, and Isolde was actually going to be married and was married to uh, King Mark. And of course, one of these frightful love triangle, you know, love triangle things that <clears throat> lots of things went wrong <laughs> in that one. But my story is based in that, um, with things that go wrong as well. And so there we are. And the third one, now I'm not going to give you any spoilers on that, but they're all basic. The novels are all basically magic, mystery, and romance. And there's loads of magic and mystery and um the, the usual relationship problems uh which make it real as well so yeah and uh, if you want to know more about how it was living there eleanor's the ways is a great place to start which one is the great way to start the ellen of the ways ellen of the ways I you know I I looked at all your books on Amazon and I couldn't decide which one to read first. So I said, well, let me just do the interview first and then I'll decide. <laughs> well, the other way to do it is, you know, they come up as a as a, a row on the top of Amazon is to go on uh, yeah, right. <laughs> which one is calling me to be exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's usually like that. You know, the books talk to you as you they jump off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, indeed. Um, so with this childhood, and then you worked with computers and businesses and you became a psychotherapist, what, how did all these different things now lead to what you do today? First of all, tell us what you do today. And then, you know, how, how did that all come together for you? Well, um, I, I'm terribly wicked, um, all witches are wicked. It's fine. Um, I'm a badass life coach, uh, but I'm very heartful about it. So I'm, I am full of heart and love, but sometimes that can be tough love, of course. Um, and I will push people in that way. And I think growing up, sort of wild this was on the edge of Exmoor which is quite a wild place where I grew up then in the village and we were all able to go out you know I mean you could disappear after breakfast and as long as you turned up before well not too long after dark you didn't get into too much trouble but nobody worried about you because things were very different back then so all of that wildness I still remember in me and I'm finding that there are so many people, I work mostly with women, um, but I'm, I'm not, I can work with men, but I don't seem to at the moment. So many women particularly who have this wildness inside, but they feel they've got to be proper and polite and nice and fit in the box. And I work with people like that. So the wildness works very well for that. Being a psychotherapist is enormously useful because you learn so much. My training was mostly with, excuse me, 
with um, Jung, Carl Jung, um, and in the transpersonal, which is my real love. And that goes very deep, and it goes into, you know, I keep making a mess of my life. Well, let's dig the soil away. Let's look at the roots of that. And the old ways of Britain do that too. You know, let's not just put a sticking plaster, a a Band-Aid over the wound. Let's dig. Let's find out what the problem is and see if we can do something about that. So that has taken me into this, into the coaching that I do, which helps people find their roots and understand their dreams and then start to see what is stopping them. Because what stops us all is stuff in here. I know I stopped myself. I was doing some work this morning because I'm just bringing out a new project, a new program in spring. And I was doing some work. Why haven't you done this? Why is it difficult? And looking at my own self-doubts. I mean, I've been doing this stuff for 30 years. I get lots and lots of people saying, you're really good. I've just told my friend she's coming to talk to you. And yet this part of me, she goes, oh, they won't really like me. <laughs> and we all have that. On the other hand, I've learned enough to recognize it and not feel ashamed or embarrassed that I feel it. And so I can help someone and sort of say, well, okay, so you feel like that. Well, what would make what what would you feel that would make it better? So the psychotherapy, the actually working in business, because of course this all happens in business and um you know, you're working with the head of British Aerospace or something, and he has these problems just the same, just because he's a multimillionaire and everybody goes mm-hmm, to him. You know, it doesn't mean to say that he doesn't have problems. Um, you might have to be more embarrassed about saying so, but when he does, it works. And so I'm helping people do that. And I've got the psychotherapy, the old witch ways, which are all about roots again all about finding solutions. Solution meaning dissolving something. You put something in a solution. So you dissolve it and you blend it together and then it can flow away. And all my own experience, which is really helpful, because I don't tend to talk from a book. I tend to say, mm, yeah, was a similar sort of experience. So now, what do you think this would help you? And so you can talk to people like that. So I don't know that I answered your question. I felt I driveled on there for ages. <laughs> no, that's just wonderful because you're um, using all your life experiences, your childhood uh, mixed with your education as a psychotherapist. And then, then that has now propelled you in the direction of helping other people sort of step into that space that for many have been lost because they didn't get that um that connection with nature and it's fascinating for me to listen um to your story and your life and your background because i was fortunate to grow up on in, in the archipelago of sweden as a child because i was born and raised in sweden and it's you know over twenty thousand islands and my grandparents bought a piece of the island and then they sold off big sections so they had enough money to build their own little house. There was no electricity or running water on the island. And that's how I spent my summers. So three months of the year, I lived on this island without electricity and running water. 
And my grandmother would lay nets in the oceans and catch fish. And so we would eat a lot of fish and she grew potatoes in her garden. And if, when we ran out of other food, we would have to go in the boat and, you know, travel to, to the mainland to get <laughs> to get foods that we couldn't <laughs> grow or or fish for food on the island. But that can, you know, it's so I'm so fortunate because that connection with nature. But then in the winter, I lived in a suburb of Stockholm. So I was, you know, in a city or in a city environment. But that connection with nature that I had in the summers really uh, gave me a whole different perspective perspective on life. And there was nothing to do. There's no radio, no television, nothing. It was just nature. And I would sit on that swing for hours sometimes and just ponder life, right? And and walk through the woods and touch the trees and, uh, you know, look at the little people that, that lived under the bushes, <laughs> right? Um, yes, right? And it was just yeah. this whole different, you know, world that I lived in. And it's just, um, and it's so nice to hear you talk about your childhood and the stories and how you know you you were taught how to bring an owl to your hand and the, watch the falcons come to the hand and that seeing that connection that we all have with nature but has been lost mm-hmm. so all the listeners out there that, that are thinking wow i wish i had that magic childhood right that grew up in a city and maybe not in the best home environment or just did not have an opportunity to connect with nature the way we did what advice would you give to these people how do they how do they find that how do they find that that spark the soul fire that you talk about how do they how do they find that in themselves well it does help I mean you had it with your grandmother I had it with my family if you've got someone who's as they say walk the path before you and so find someone who you feel really connected to, who you f- feels right for you. And that won't necessarily mean that, you know, they've got alphabet soup after their name with a load of qualifications and that. You've got to have the chemistry between you and this other person. And ask them, you know, I want to work with you. And they'll probably say yes. This is what happens for me. And as we were saying earlier, the internet is so good. And now we've got used to talking like this through Zoom and all that. And I teach it like this now. And it works. My students learn enormously. And I may... Some of them, if they live in, if they live in Australia or, or in the States or something, I don't necessarily even see them once a year, except this way. But it's working for them. So you want to come and um, do that with me? That's fine. I've got a, a, a way on the website that you can call me and book a call. And your discovery call is free. And we can chat. And you can see whether... You like what I'm talking about, and we can get on, and I can show you some of this is how we do it. How does that feel? And then, if you like it, we go together and we work. I love it. So, people just go to your website and then they book a call, and then that call is on Zoom. Yes, 
Yeah. Okay. So it's easy. It's not like they have to have international calling or anything like that. Nope. But what if you you're in England and we're in the United States? Well, people are listening from all over the world. But what if they can't find a time because the time zone is so different? What do they What do they do? Well, my email is on there as well, and um, I've got my normal working hours, of course, because you've got to have these kind of boundaries. But say you live in Australia, and I, I've got a friend in Sydney, um, and went to talk to her, and I've got a client over there as well, and went to talk to her. So we've sort of said, well, you know, she gets up like a seven o'clock in the morning and that's about 12 hours difference to me so I will say okay we book seven o'clock in your morning it's seven o'clock in my evening and we can book it so there are ways just because I don't have the hours on my normal schedule of hours email me it'll work I love it um so I, I'm going to put the link in the podcast notes uh so you can go straight to her website and you can book a call with her there and it's just on zoom so it's not going to cost you anything and then you know figure out if you would want to be in her class or uh, work with her individually and um i mean you're just such an amazing woman i can't believe you've written 12 books so <laughs> also go to are your books available on amazon or on other platforms all over on amazon yeah all around the world on amazon yeah okay that's the easiest way to tell everybody you can probably get them in your local bookshop too but amazon has them right yeah so depending on where you live in the world um amazon is always a safe choice to to find yeah. things so yeah uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest today. It, it was just a wonderful to to meet you and have you share your knowledge. And it's lovely to talk to you, Dr. Lottie, and see you again, I hope. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com. Sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires. Let's light our fires.